Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Esoteric Gladiator. I am your host, Jeremy Lipsy, and today I've got a really special guest on. I'm talking about really, really special guest on. The man who helped me start podcasting. The guy who I did the first podcast ever with on his show. None other than my good friend, Ross the Balls. No, he's Ross, but he's not Ross the Boss. He's a boss. It's not the famous guy, Ross the Boss. It's a different Ross. He's famous to me. I'm excited to be be back on. I'm glad you could make it out and... Always happy to be back on the Esoteric Gladiator. So it's been a while since we've done a show. If you guys hear any crackling in the background, that's because we're out in the front of his house uh, in lower Illinois, and we're having a front yard fire because that's what these these country rednecks right. do. That's what we do out in the sticks. And so uh, I hadn't seen him in a... How long has it been, Ross? It's We moved in 2020. In, in October of 2020, so it's been two years. It's been two years since I've seen you. Yeah, because I saw you right before you left. Um, so it's been about two years exactly. We didn't do a podcast after you left, did we? I don't think so. We talked yeah. about it a few times, but never came to, came of anything. Um, and you're not podcasting these days. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm, uh, I've got a baby and one on the way and working and just out here hustling, trying to homestead this property that we bought out here so i've got some other things going no no other reason than just i've i've kind of got busy doing other things but uh i'm happy to be on this one though so how's how's the uh how's the dad life going man seems like you're really enjoying it yeah i am it's one it's a thing that you know it's kind of a cliche but you just don't really know how you'll adapt to that until it happens. And I guess some people don't adapt well, which would explain the absentee father epidemic. But uh, I have really loved it. I, my wife and I have very, I think, unique bond. And adding children to that has just been one of the most fantastic and interesting endeavors that I think we've done together. And it's new and fresh and you learn a lot about yourself and it's scary because uh of reasons i probably your audience knows uh the world right now is particularly fond of preying on girls so it's it's intimidating because i have girls and uh but it's also very exciting and very uh life-giving they're particularly fond of preying on anything childlike at this point that's true so yeah, it's it's I'm loving it. It's a new responsibility. I've found uh I've found a new drive kind of ignited in me to be a provider and protector and prior, priorities sort of shifting uh in that way and it's very exciting for me. It's I'm, I'm really really happy uh, it's, for it, everything. It's crazy because yeah, when he told me you guys were pregnant, I was like, well, that kind of makes sense. You know, he, you know, you were working with youth and, and like troubled youth and you're doing really good at that job. And and I was like, oh, he's going to be such a good dad. I guarantee Thanks, man. he's going to be such a good dad. Like, and like me, I've always, it's not that I've been anti-kid. It's just, I just, and I guess like 
even my perspectives on a lot of things have really been changing, particularly in the last year. Like it's, it's more like, I just feel like, I mean, there must have always been a period of time where man was like, the world's ending, the government's coming to get yeah. us, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah, it's a weird, you know, they got you with the Depop agenda. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. They got yeah. you with the Depop, man. You're one of the statistics on their list. Jeremy Lipsy, check, no kids. Perfect. No, yeah, no, hey, man. But I understand. You're a, you're a rogue man. You're a, you're serving a different purpose in life. And uh, I, abs- I, I think children are amazing. I think they're the most, you know, I think they're the most unique and special gift that, that two people can give to the world. I also think it's a, a unique responsibility. And I also don't think, number one, I don't think everybody should have children. And I also don't think everybody has to have children. Well, you so. know what's really interesting about, like, a lot of my friends that had kids? As I've noticed, like, they are different people. They, they like, they're some of the most generous and patient people I know. And it's like, I think about some of my friends and how impatient... And I don't want to say selfish, but like most of my friends that have kids, they're generous people, you know? And it's like, I feel like children probably teach that to them and yeah. the patience and. Yeah, you kind of, you have to be. And more compassion. It's, it, that's kind of what I was getting to about you, you kind of recognize in yourself changes i gotta back up from oh, yeah, this, this mother freaker right here this fire is just we got it going oh, out here we're roasting uh this old hickory tree is just freaking flamed up uh, see you hear that we're out in the country we're roasting hickory, hickory. trees america yeah. don't worry it was an old dead one so you can't really it's not good for smoking meat so yeah. it's just good for sitting around friends around the fire um but uh you when you have kids you this what should happen is you should have a newfound sense of responsibility. And when that happens, the generosity that you have or discover within yourself to share with your kids, you, it's more than just sharing with your kids. And this kind of goes into what we have talked about today on our run. But you realize that there is a pattern of generosity that we need to exhibit for life you know and your kids become kind of the center point of how you learn to do that but i think the best the best way to sort of embody that spirit of generosity is to take the way that your kids teach you to be generous and sort of you know fan that out to to people you love and people you meet and so it's not something special about me uh, but i think it is something unique about understanding masculinity and parenthood and i mean you're already a generous guy that's why like i knew when you guys told me you're pregnant i was like ah, oh, it makes sense he, you know he he works with kids already he's does such a good job like he's gonna be just the best freaking parent you know Thanks, man. i appreciate that. and we get and if you guys hear any meowing his cat wants to be part of the podcast he, kitty we've got the mouse slayer the mole decapitator Bubba the cat, Bubba the barn cat. He's out here yeah, too. Yeah, he's out. He might hear a meowing. He's a total stud. You also might hear some coyotes out here. We've got a pack of coyotes that run through here. 
which can be kind of alarming if, if you're not prepared for that. Well, hopefully we'll get them on... Uh, yeah, we want to get them some mic time. We want to get them some get, podcast yeah, time. Yeah, get, get the, the coyotes some mic time. Yeah. Exactly. So you're out here. You're living... You're homesteading it now. You got a kid. Your kid is just the cutest little creature. She looks like yeah. a little blue-eyed garden gnome. Yeah. The perfect fusion of Ross and his wife, Ray, and big cheeks and... And just a little button nose. She's super cute. She got a good personality. And uh, so, yeah, man, you're like, it's crazy because I feel like so many people, when 2020 hit, lost it. Right? Yeah. And then a yeah. lot of people, our lives got better. Yeah. I, yeah, I think that's indicative of, of like a good perspective on things. And that is... I mean, that one of the reasons, you know, we lived in Port Angeles and that's where we met. But uh, one of the reasons, the primary reason we moved back to where we kind of grew up and specifically where our, all of our family still lives is uh, we found out we were going to have a baby. And it was in the middle of the COVID pandemonium. Yeah, and you wanted to be near your family. And, uh, well, the our parents couldn't come and see us for, for like, a full year and at the time nobody really knew what the world was going to look like yeah. and or, or how possible it would be in the future and so we decided you know what let's get back and let's uh let's be close to family at least for now and if we can find a house and some property then great and if not let's just commit to a few years when our child's born to be near near their grandparents and uh going off of what you said kind of the some people kind of lost their way through this and some people seem to have found sort of a new grip on reality. I think it really comes down to uh, having like a, a, a worldview or a lens that helps you to see what is happening for what it is. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, Though there's a lot of there's a lot of diversity in the group of people who you know we might call them awake or you might say that they're you know conspiracy theorists or whatever, but there's a lot of diversity and a lot of different uh, different beliefs that individuals hold. But I think the bedrock or the foundational belief that things are not as they are portrayed in in mainstream media or in Hollywood or in even mainstream academia, things are just simply not as black and white as it has been portrayed. And when you can finally see that, I think it, it either makes you double down and say, no, absolutely not. That's not happening. Joe Biden is awesome. And Kamala Harris is a superhero. Or it makes you say, you know what? They're not in charge clearly. And that means I don't really know who's running this. And that means I'm um, I'm like, I've got to figure things out. You know, I've got to I've got to figure out where to go from here. And when you're with some like-minded people and you're with people you love, it, that becomes, I don't want to say exciting because I don't want to make light of a lot of the chaos and uncertainty that's going on. But it is, it does feel like a bit of an adventure. It yeah. does feel like a bit of a a testing of your moxie, like. Oh yeah. You you got to put your money where your mouth is and especially having kids like I've got a lot more at stake now. Yeah. 
going through this than I did. Kids and a cat. Before. He's got kids and a, a, a kitty, a silly little kitty. So it's been, uh, you know, it's been a great adventure and not without its challenges. You know, like everybody else, we've mm-hmm. got loved ones that we really care about who are hook, line, and sinker bought into, you know, the, the at least the narrative now of, you know, the, the vaccines and the, and the boosters, the jabbies are going to, you know, that's, that's priority number one on their list. And if you're not, if you're not obeying that doctrine, uh, then you are uh, an apostate. You are a, not a good person. And I think, I think a lot of, probably a lot of your listeners are, can relate to that. Cause I, I think we all have people in our lives that yeah. we care about who just don't seem to, and they're intelligent people, well, but they just don't seem to be able to grasp the swindle. What seems so obvious yeah. to me. Well, like like I said, if, if, like I don't want to say five, six, seven podcasts ago, where I said the world is a massive cult, and you know pop culture is a massive cult, and the way that they've ran these psychological operations on us and our family and you know our our, our countrymen and just people around the world they've somehow created this pop culture community that that believes that it's part of something even though that something is just yeah. heartless and meaningless and it's just a trend and you know they've subconsciously indoctrinated people into a cult without their them even knowing and that's why people are you know how cults operate and they just throw logic out the window yeah. and for their idealism and that's kind yeah. of that's kind of what i it's feel a, like the the greatest lie of cults and and even a, like what i would say is our modern situation is the the idea that meaning and purpose and what we you know what it might be you might say what we ought to be doing or what is you know in our common parlance, what is my personal truth or what is my, we have been tricked into thinking that we can decide what that is for ourselves. And that's just not the case. Like when men are most fulfilled when they are protecting, when they are providing, when they are building, when they are studying, yeah. women are most fulfilled when they are nurturing when they are yeah. nesting when they are uh j- do, doing traditional feminine uh inhabiting traditional femininity and when men are inhabiting traditional masculinity i can't even believe you would bring those right wing sexist beliefs onto my <laughs> podcast you're a xenophobe yeah it's a it's a it's strange to me that uh people so easily want to think that that is somehow being a traditionally masculine and wanting to have the responsibility of being the provider and the protector is somehow misogynistic it's it like what do you want me to be like just some yeah you're trying to fulfill life's purpose yeah yeah they want you to be a beta cock yeah and then for women like the greatest hoax we ever played on women in the 20th century is convincing them that uh counting 
like how many uh, Excel spreadsheets she could work through in a day is somehow better than raising children like that. That is a complete falsehood. It's a complete and total lie. And the women who are now entering retirement who bought into that lie and who are single and retired and rich are living incredibly lonely and sad ends to their life. And it's because we are made for community and there is no community or bond deeper than your, than your family. And fortunately, some people are able to build relationships that are not explicitly tied to their family, but it, not at the expense of traditional views of masculinity and femininity. The people that I know who are the most pleasant to be with and to be around really exhibit those virtues. And the people that I know who are really not very pleasant to be around uh, are people who are totally bought into the woke, liberal idea of total homogeneity and everyone is everyone and everything is one thing and you can be whatever you want and I'm a girl today and my name is Seven Moon and I'm like I'm a girl and now I take hormones and I have a beard like I've never met one person who is trans or who is a part of that community uh, who's totally bought into the ideology who seems happy who seems who seems pleasant to be around who seems like content with life Everyone that I've ever known who sort of exists in those worlds just seems upset all the time. They're anxious. They're on SSRIs. They're, they're on tons of medication. They are in therapy. And they're still very lonely and sad and upset. Well, that's why I said, like, the left, you know, it attracts, like, the weak, uh, the, the mentally ill the narcissists, the sociopaths, and, you know, the, and, and I always say the right is not without flaw. There is, and I'm not, and I'm not oh, yeah. a conservative, but like, and I, and I think that a lot of this, like the, the, what's happening on the world stage too, with like this extreme leftism is setting up the stage for extreme rightism because like yeah. once you go swing one way, you know, and, and, and you just look at like over the, the history of the country too like you look at like world war Two, that's the right and then you look at the hippie movement that's the left and then you look at like the fall of the, you know the hippie movement all the hippies are serial killers like charles manson that's the right and then you got you know the bush era neocons and then now you got like this woke left that is just like i didn't think that i could hate anyone more than the neocons that you know the bush era conservatives the left has surpassed that hatred by like times 10 like i just and i you don't even want to say it's hatred it's just i'm so sickened by this this yeah. this lack of awareness but at the same token i do see it as kind of like the perfect setup to usher in the extreme far right now like because like what we think like oh no this is the end of america this that is not like I don't. I just don't think it's going to be that easy. I don't think it's going to be that like cut and dry. That like, cause like I feel like like last election cycle is like like we've always known that the the elections have been tampered with. I mean, shit. The first election in my life that I saw tampering with was during Bush Junior. 
in Florida when, when the, they didn't count the black vote, you know, like, yeah. and then like you look at the Trump thing and the left was crying about Russia gate and all the election fraud then. And then the last election again, and I'm an outside observer, so I don't have a stake in the race. There was absolute 100% election tampering. And so now I feel like they're probably going to be a lot sharper during the next election with like, you know, election fraud and things like that. And then if like the conservatives get into power, they're just like hyping everybody up on abortion and and all this stuff. We might wind up with a far right world. God willing, that doesn't happen. But I feel like it might be part of the the game plan, even. Yeah. The well, what most people don't know is both sides historically have been funded by the same people. Yes. And if you that's read, what I mean, if you read the literature and the articles that folks from like the Royal Society or some of these major NGOs or predating those early 20th century globalist literature. Um, I would point people to a book called The Next Million Years by Charles Galton Darwin. He was the he was the grandson of Charles Darwin and also on his mother's side, uh, I think it was his mother's side. It was whoever, the other side of his Darwin went, yeah, his, on his mother's side, uh, connect very connected. To, to British elite. And um, in that book, he talks very openly about depopulation. And it's something we, we talked about today. But for your viewers, um, you should read that book because it was written in the late 1800s and it's written on the worldview. And I, you know, I don't know where you might stand on this as the listener here, but um, if, if you're totally bought into the Darwinian evolution model of human existence... Uh, I would challenge you to just explore some of the writings of the people who really bought into that in the early 20th century and what it is that they think the future holds for humanity. And I have different, I have more philosophical reasons uh, for for not accepting Darwinian evolution. And I, I guess oh, yeah, I could go too. into that yeah. for if I, if you want, but... But for you just to see that you don't even need to know the philosophy really to understand that it is an anti-human, um, morally bankrupt system that the people who have the money and influence and uh, academic uh, credentials for the last 150 years ver understand very well that it is that morality um, – immaterial realities god any kind of theism is non-existent in their worldview and therefore the human race uh, living in a purely material universe was subject to evolution with no say in that future of how evolution would play out and with the with the rise of the acceptance of darwinian evolution much to do and much to do to the funding from the British royal elites, uh, like the Huxley brothers, like some other folks that eventually bring about what we now call NATO, uh, through their funding and through the inf influence in public schools and, and first and foremost in the academy, this uh, philosophy of Darwinian evolution, and it is a philosophy, it's, it's not uh, a concrete science. It's, it is a, there are presuppositions that, you, when I say philosophy, I mean, there are presuppositions that you must assume for it to be the case. 
And I disagree with those presuppositions is what I mean when I say I disagree philosophically. But to continue with this point about morality, if we are pure matter evolved from primordial goo and continued to evolve over billions of years into a more complex species from a primate-like ancestor, then any concept of good or wrong or better or worse literally doesn't exist. And so what Charles Galton Darwin writes about in that book, The Next Million Years, and what Julian Huxley, for example, the brother of the famous author Aldous Huxley, author of Brave New Brave World. Brave New World, the manuscript for what's happening now. Julian Huxley wrote a paper called UNESCO. And in that paper, he critiques modern attempts at depopulation. And you might be asking, what does depopulation have to do with Darwinian evolution? I thought we were talking about evolution. We are talking about evolution. What these people believe is that... Since the dawn of time, humanity has been in a state of lack of knowledge to the degree that um, we were subject to the changes of evolution with no say in the matter. But now that we are, in their worldview, privy to this concept of evolution, now that we know where we've come from, we can now tailor the future evolution you know, the next million years, the book title. To our desires. We can change our evolutionary future and tailor it to suit the needs of humanity for the next million years. But well, only a small portion of humanity, the and elites in what humanity. They, yeah, what they say is one of the biggest problems that humanity faces is population. And in order to... Pre in order to maintain this very idealistic future. Uh, Julian Huxley and Charles Galton Darwin in his late 19th century work, The Next Million Years, will very explicitly say, unfortunately, the masses will need to be serving the agenda or the purposes set by the academic intelligentsia and the wealthy um, generational, uh, the generationally wealthy families, specifically in the Western world, to work as, work toward a future that will be preserved for only the smart and the rich. And so um, the way that they envision how to do that differs. Some of them see it differently. Uh, and Julian Huxley very famously in his UNESCO paper, which you can read on Google, if you just go Google it, you can get the PDF. Julian Huxley critiques two concepts that were on the rise in the moment. And the two were Nazism and Bolshevism. And what you should know before I even tell you what he writes is both of these movements were funded by very wealthy families in the British Royal Society. And they're opposites, aren't they? Yeah, they're Bolshevism opposites. Bolshevism is communism. That's right. That's and right. Nazism fascism. is fascism. Um, and yes, they're opposites. But Julian Huxley, again, we're talking about someone who has totally bought into the Darwinian evolution as the origins of species, right? So we're talking about somebody who has a very sophisticated 
I won't call it sophisticated. I'll call it a, a very conscious understanding that morality, good and bad, right and wrong, literally don't exist. It's they don't exist. So therefore, anything is on the table in order to achieve this end that they that he would like to see for the future. Yeah. And so he critiques Nazism and Bolshevism as being unable to achieve the appropriate depopulation needed to preserve the future million years because oppression necessarily ends in revolution. So his his comp, his issue with Nazism and with Bolshevism was that he was um he was upset at the he wasn't upset he was critiquing the idea in the sense that we need to achieve depopulation it's not that these are good or bad it's that you can't achieve it through oppressive means because the people will revolt and and the the unintelligent masses way outnumber the intelligentsia and the generationally wealthy and so we have to come about this at another angle and the angle that he proposes in his unesco paper which he presented to uh, the Royal Society, was that the intelligentsia, and by that I mean the credentialed academics who hold prestigious positions in academia, and the generationally wealthy should focus their attention on research and funding corporations and media interests, as well as the university research systems, in order to alter the, the perspective perspectives on glo- on the global society but starting with the western civilization and so what that looks like is he gives three main areas of focus that the intelligentsia and the generationally wealthy would do well to focus on if they want to achieve this next million years as the tailored future that they desire and the way he does that is to Number one, number one, it's to destroy the commonly held belief that the nuclear family is the ideal family. So man, woman having children is the ideal. That is the ideal in the public consciousness, the mass consciousness. Um, and we've seen that unfold just drastically, particularly yeah, in the last decade. We uh, absolutely They tried have. it in the 60s. And, and here's what's, what I find interesting. Uh, well, for, let me run through these three and then I'll, t- I'll give my critique of those. Cool. Uh, the first one is to destroy the nuclear family or the, at least the notion of the nuclear family. And the way he says to do this is to prop up research and fund research that will demonstrate... Uh, the value in uh, same-sex partners or partners through who through sexual intercourse are unable to actually have children. So if we can make the ideal no longer man-woman having children and we can make it man <coughs> and whoever having sex but not producing children, that will be worth our time. The second thing he produce, he promotes is, um, and I would recommend you read this, um, but, and I'm loosely quoting it, but the second thing he, uh, he uh, sort of puts forward is the idea of uh, eugenics. And 
what he says we should change the social norms, the social behaviors to accept things like abortion and end of life care or euthanasia. Euthanasia. So um, he says in this regard, we can we can prioritize decreasing the future population through abortion and rapidly decreasing the current population through eugenics and euthanasia. And then the third thing that he proposes is self-castration. And again, none of this is meant to be forced on people. He wants to change the social landscape in such a way that people actually start to believe that abortion, end-of-life euthanasia, alternative sexual uh, behaviors, and self-castration are in fact virtues. And so in this way, he says, we can keep the population comfortable. We can give them a comfortable life while also reducing the population and effectively, so to not mince words, to kill themselves off. How long ago was this book written? It's a paper. It was either written in the late 30s. I think it was written in the 30s. Um, but I want you to, I want to point out something about this um, for, for people who may be um, kind of on the fence on some of these issues, not sure exactly how to think about them. I want to highlight that at no point in time does Julian Huxley or anyone who also writes about these issues before they become mainstream topics, at no point do they talk about rights. At no point, at no point is this a, a, a question of justice. This is, this is all much later, and it is intentionally infused into the social uh, uh, media landscape in order to achieve, I want, what I want to get to is the whole concept of like rights of justice for, let's say, same-sex marriage or abortion or euthanasia is an afterthought. It is the means by which they accomplish this agenda. It's a very sophisticated, very cunning agenda that they undertake and it has been coming to life. Sorry about that. It's been coming to life since he proposed it. And, you know, there's a lot of normie folks out there who just don't know this. And they think the hippie movement was organic. They think that they really think that the whole LSD thing and the, the drug, the drug tripping and the sexual revolution was something that was birthed out of an organic sense of the American culture and it, looking at a new way of perceiving truth. And that is simply not true. And, and, and I'm sure you're, you're on this page because I think I got you to read the book, Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon. Yes, yes. We that, should talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so, so to go a little further into specifically the sexual revolution or the rock and roll revolution. Before, I, before we even do that, though, I want to say, so academia was started by the wealthy for their wealthy family members for trust fund kids. And I believe everything that we're encountering now is of a spiritual nature, whether they believe they're spiritual or not. Uh, as I said earlier, I believe people are indoctrinated subconsciously into a cult. And that is why... Grab more wood. Oh, yeah. That is why uh, they're, they're just unaware of the part they're playing in this spiritual warfare. And so a lot of these people... They don't even realize, whether they're atheist or not, that they're serving a specific uh, 
spirit or side of, of the spiritual war with their behavior. So um, when I look at like, you know, academia and music and, and all this stuff that, you know, was spawned for and by the elites, I look at that too as almost, not that it's not good to be intelligent or to learn or to be educated clearly, but that a lot of this was developed with the intention of shifting the perspective of people publicly into a specific direction um like with right. with you know like with music like back in the, you know even in ancient times like the musicians were all family members of wealthy royalty yeah and so why would that change in the 60s and when you read that book weird scenes inside the canyon you're you're able to see how so many of the famous musicians were related to people in the fbi the cia high-level military intelligence police commissioners uh family members that are speculated to be involved in cults and and all of that stuff and um you know what the music with that whole musical movement was about to begin with was also you know it was the sexual revolution and um you know you know getting high all the time and, well, it's, it's, and we did that shit of course you know like right. you, you know and, and i'm not saying the, you know to police that stuff but what i'm saying is to be aware of that stuff and why it was yeah. created and who it's benefiting in the end yeah and i'm not advocating for some weird puritanical shake in your boots weird early christianity i am a christian but i'm I am you're a very open-minded Christian yeah and I'm also a very tradition like I ascribed orthodoxy and uh, I'm 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 really considering uh, I am very much praying that I can find a way to bring my family to orthodoxy but uh, but that's that's a different different perspective of Christianity than puritanical so I hope you don't if you're listening to this I hope you're not thinking like I want to go back to Jonathan Edwards, 1700 Connecticut type of Christianity. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. But um, Jeremy is right in that you, you, when you read these things, and, and that book by, it's, James, it's McGowan, right? Uh, uh, yeah, David, David McGowan. McGowan. He also uh, wrote a book called Program to Kill, which is the link between serial killers and politicians. Yeah. Uh, and you can't get... Well, program to kill on audio you have to get that uh paperback and it's incredible and there's a reason why i think james mcgowan didn't live past his 40s well there's a, his information was so incredible there's a link to both of those and that's what he really tries to touch on is that the sexual revolution and specific which is cannot be divorced from uh specifically the lsd boom in the 60s which was itself very well documented to be birthed from MK Ultra, which yeah. was a CIA operation that was uh, w- that was uh, performed not only by the CIA but through some of our Ivy League institutions, which shouldn't be a surprise if. And and I'm asking behind you behind any global of uh, particularly with America any global. Uh, horrific conspiracy theory there's multiple people that got degrees in ivy league college there's multiple people who got degrees and there's a lot of funding and when you get hey bubba and when you get uh when you when you start to see this um for example um lsd 
it's a very widely known it's hard to say widely if you're in this if you're in this research if you if you've read these books and you've read these papers uh, you know this but if you haven't you maybe don't know but uh, the LSD itself tabs of LSD of acid lysergic acid uh, were handed out at by the hundreds of thousands of doses at concerts like the Grateful Dead yeah. and like the doors and it was handed out and yeah. supplied by the CIA and I know that that sounds crazy I know I know how it sounds that doesn't sound that crazy probably not for your audience some I'm I'm too used to talking to people who yeah who don't know anything yeah. about this and I have to constantly say like censor yourself listen I know this sounds you have to insane. fact check yourself yeah I know it sounds insane but it is the way that this was brought about and if I could plug one person who's particularly good at this research uh, of, of covering these globalist literature, I would point you to a guy named Jay Dyer. Oh on, yeah, Jay Dyer's really good. He's, he's uh, gone through, I think, over 50 globalist texts, uh, probably first and foremost being Tragedy and Hope by Carol Quigley, who was a professor. Yeah, I just got done with that book. He was a professor at um, jo- Georgetown and was the mentor to Bill Clinton. And in that book, it's an incredibly huge book. It's, it is an incredibly dense book. But in that book, he really outlines what the, ag- what the agenda is of these major global players who are part of this elite group who are steering the future of civilization. And he is an apologist for this, for this uh, worldview. So he's not a conspiracy theorist. He's not even critiquing this worldview. He is simply putting it forward as this is the Western world's agenda. This is what we are working toward. Most people do not know this and that is they're better off not knowing. But if you're going to be a world leader and that is who he was training in graduate school, people like I said, like Bill Clinton. Yeah. Uh, these are people who are willing to participate in this future. And in order to participate in this future, they have to understand the Grand Chessboard, which is another book I would point you to if you want to understand geopolitics and what is actually going on in the world. Um, it is it is a psychological operation to get people to forsake what is what should be an obvious contradiction of the natural world. Uh, and I don't mean natural in the material world. I mean in our nature and essence. And uh, I'm not a materialist. I believe in the transcendent. I believe in I believe in a creator. I believe uh, that Jesus Christ himself is... I believe that Jesus Christ was the embodiment of the divine essence and human essence into one body. And that could be another whole nother podcast. But um, for example, laws of logic cannot be denied. I mean, it's, an, it's impossible to deny them because if you deny them, you're acknowledging that they exist. And we kind of went through this in the, con- in the concept of the pattern. To, to mess up the pattern is to necessarily admit that the pattern is there. Yeah, And so, you know, just to give one very obvious and very crude example, a very unsophisticated example, we can just look at the LGBTQ plus acronym. The concept of the LGD, 
LGBTQ plus acronym and worldview is that they're all unified. If you're part of that, if you're a part of that group that identifies with that moniker, the idea is that you're unified in your worldview. And the idea that undergirds that worldview is that your personal truth should be embodied specifically in these ways that relate to sex and gender. There's a lot of LGTB people. There's gays against groomers now. A lot really? of trans people. Yeah, speaking well, out against all of this here's stuff. The th- and I think it's because some people are finally catching on to the absurdity of, the, of what that stands for. And I, so you have LGB. That's lesbian, gay, bisexual. Trans, T, Q, queer, plus, plus everything else. Yeah. If you're, if gender is a spectrum that is non-binary, then you cannot be bisexual. And even more specifically, you can't be homosexual. How could there be any, what is more patriarchal misogynistic than to say, I'm a man who's only going to have sex with men? You don't get more patriarchy That's than that. Well, I've said in like past podcasts too, like I, I, I don't believe, uh, I don't believe in the, in the I, I've ridiculous never, view of patriarchy either. Like the yeah. way that they present it as some evil thing. I, it is because of men that we have anything like yeah. women aren't building things. Women aren't laying concrete. They're not I mean, there's always bricks. exceptions, but they're rare. They're super right? rare. They're yeah. not doing plumbing. They're not. Yeah. They're not building civilization. They don't build roads. They, I have seen women on road crews, construction sites, but they're always holding a stop sign. They're never laying asphalt. <laughs> oh, the, yeah? How come you don't have a shovel in your and hand, I, Martha? And I'm, not, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. No. And that's what I think people don't understand. Like, I, women don't want to do that, and I support that. I don't think they should have to. Men should stop being ultra-feminized and... and and well, this like, all goes back to food and, and vaccines and, and hormone-altering yeah, practices of the eugenicists that we're referring to right now. Well, you know? they just re- there was just a, a study released on testosterone levels in men. And men at 30 right now in America have the testosterone level of a 60-year-old Do you remember from the 50 years ago. Of, the, of those? What do you mean? Like what their testosterone number was at? I don't. I, don't I got remember. mine tested before I left uh, Washington. Keep in mind, um, I'm, I'm in my late forties. I'm at almost six hundred. Pretty damn good. Yeah, I'd like <laughs> to get mine tested. I've been. I've. I try to do things that are proven to boost your testosterone because I. You know, I can't help but be part of this world, and I. I. I am like we just. We just totally. Uh, we had dinner together tonight at a restaurant and it didn't have the most healthy dinner. And sometimes that's, you know, it's fine. It's whatever. But like, I try to get sunlight. I try to, I try to exercise regularly. I try to, uh, reduce, um, my consumption of bad food. I don't eat a lot of sugar that, which is proven to lower testosterone. Insulin lowers testosterone. And when, uh, whenever you're constantly eating sugar, yeah, your you're constantly spiking. spiking your insulin, which is which is consistently reducing your testosterone production. Yeah, but the other thing has something to do with your your blood flow too. Like, 
Yeah, and like when when I first got here today, before I even got here, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm like an hour out, and he's like, hey, you want to go for a run when you get here? And I was like, <laughs> oh hell yeah, right? Like, and how old are you? You, I'll be thirty. Uh, yeah, see, he's I'll be thirty in a couple days. He's like days. seventeen, eighteen years younger than me, and uh, I don't know how did I do on that run. It was good. I was a solid run. We okay, we ran cool. two and a half miles, uh, yeah. and then walked well, we, back. We used to train, you know, MMA stuff together, and uh, you know, so. It's yeah. it's good to get together with an old brother and like um get that inspiration that 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 subconscious gladiator spirit, right? Yeah, it's it's healthy to be with other guys doing hard stuff like and we talk the whole time and running oh and God, talking yeah. is infinitely harder than oh, yeah. than just running on your own and concentrating on your breathing. Yeah. And we did good. We did we did a good job. That's about the pace I would have ran it anyway, so Okay. Yeah. yeah, we did a good job. I think I think he cut off half the jog from it. What did we do? Two point five miles. Two and a half. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. Well, that's the longest I've ran, and and you did great. You did, weren't even that winded. Least. Yeah. We were we were about the same. We were we were both about the same. But all that to say, just to go back to the first point of like, you have a responsibility to to be aware of what is taking place in the world around you and the tricky part of that is maintaining a balanced approach because i also know some people who this door becomes open to them and they 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 kind of they don't go crazy like insane i'm sure some people might but they don't know how to handle this information and then they just begin accepting everything that they hear that sounds like a conspiracy as like, oh, this is this must be true too. This must be true too. This must be true too. And then they yeah. they get lost in a new labyrinth of yeah. just of just confusion. But if you can if you can just just start slow, start with some of these works we've recommended. Uh, and and I always recommend people to read and and just take very brief notes after you read and. Spend a little bit of time. You don't have to spend a lot of time. Just spend a little bit of time thinking about what, if what you have just read is true, what it then means for your, for you and for the world. And like I said, if, Dar- if we really did evolve from primates, then justice, rights, liberty... All of that is totally made up. It doesn't exist. Good, beautiful, these are all concepts that don't exist if that is true. It's not true, but of course it it's is. not true. Yeah. If it is in if, fa- in fairy tale yeah. land and in, in elite uh in elite uh trust fund baby land. It, exactly. And and here's the here's the real part that's they obviously know that's not true. But there's two, really a couple of groups that, that exist in this sort of elite superstructure. Um, and I don't even know who all is involved. I just know that I've, I know a, some of them. I know what they write. I know what their worldview is. Some of them are truly dark and, and evil and literally possessed by a spirit of, of evil. Yes. That's, that's true. These I mean, are, if you spend thousands of years, centuries trying to summon demons, you're probably going to get really good at summoning your demons. Yeah, exactly. Right? And, um, you know, a lot of people know about how corrupt and evil some of the Caesars were, 
uh, Gaius, uh, probably most commonly known as Caligula, Nero, oh, yeah. Tiberius, like these, these... Wasn't Caligula Nimrod? Was he Nimrod? But, or uh, uh, Nimrod was much older, but he was the first. He was like a, he Co- was one wasn't of the first. Caligula banging his mom too. As uh, Nimrod was, I think Semiramis. He was doing all kinds of stuff. But the point of the point of what I was trying to get at was, these people were not unintelligent. They were not only incredibly powerful and incredibly wicked, but they were tutored by the most prominent philosophers of their day. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of people read about these people and they think that Nero, for example, was just a brutish, ignorant, rich kid who grew up rich, grew up in a royal family, took the throne as Caesar and was just a, a buffoon with all the power. And that is simply not well, you can a use... historically accurate picture of who that guy was, he was incredibly. You can incredibly use serial smart. killers in a, as an example of that. Like, look at look at how these serial killers. I mean, they they're able to yeah. have all these victims, and then you find out, oh shit, these guys were like. It should have been so obvious to so many people, but these guys were so cunning. Yeah, they're very cunning, and it you're you're a fool if you allow yourself to believe otherwise. And what I want to say on the heels of that about the Caesars is that if you don't think those kinds of people still exist you're very naive of course of course they still exist of course there are people who try through the through dark magic through dark witchcraft try to take the essence of children for example that's a that is absolutely something that happens in the world but there's also a part of this elite structure who don't do that, but are nevertheless a part of the wealthy, intelligent class and want to see this future play out. And so maybe they're not drinking mm. blood from children. Maybe they're yeah. not doing sacrificial um, maybe, child maybe murder. Maybe they're a freaking university staff member. Or, exactly. You know? And they're just bought into to this idea. I don't know if Julian Huxley was into child sacrifice, into ritualistic sexual abuse. I don't know if he was. It wouldn't surprise me if he wasn't. It wouldn't surprise me if he was, but it also wouldn't surprise me if he wasn't because a lot of these people are just interested in their wealth. They're interested in academics and they're interested in the future as they can imagine it. And these people really do believe uh, that morality can be determined by them and whether or not you think it should be or not. And the reality is they have money, they have influence, military, absolutely. And they have media, they have successfully co-opted major corporations who now are very much the engine which continues to push this idea. And you can see this in, you can see this in the LGBTQ support of corporations. I mean, it's... Yeah, the uh, same corporations aren't pushing that LGTB thing in the, in the Middle East, though, where, they, exactly. where they're it's, homophobic. Which shows you that it's not, a, it's not really a matter of justice. It's a matter of achieving an end. But all of the people who get hoodwinked by this worldview 
are the people who fall for the idea that, oh, this is actually about rights. They don't even believe in rights. Rights are only possible if there is a creator who distributes those rights to you. That is a fundamental belief that is unavoidable. It, when we talk about the concept of rights, what we're talking about is what is naturally due to you as a human possessing the nature of mankind. So as a human, we would say things like, it's your right to freedom. It's your right to life. It's your right to uh, this or that. It's your right not to be murdered by your neighbor, right? You should have that right and we should protect that right. Or forcibly injected by a mystery substance yeah. that hasn't been tested <laughs> yeah, and that has shady but past already. These people at the top of this structure, they understand that rights are uh, only a useful tool in the worldview that they possess where God is not existent, where we are nothing more than monkeys uh, with a lot of language, uh, rights don't exist. They're not a real thing. But all the people who take up, take up issue with, oh, I, well, we need rights for LGBTQ youth. We need rights for homosexuality. We need rights for this or that or whatever. I'm not calling for the abolition of anything right now. I'm not calling for the persecution of, of anybody. What I'm saying is... It's these, a slippery slope. These topics were never introduced under the guise of we need to protect the rights of women so that they can have an abortion. That was never the topic yeah, of no. discussion when that was introduced. No. It turns into that when it is co-opted yes. by the corporations. Hey, we by can the push media. it as a right. Exactly, and people will fall for it because this is, uh, you know, more of a Christian concept. But there's this concept in Christ Orthodox Christianity of the passions, and that there is this thing, there's a drive within us that, left unchecked, our passions will lead us can lead us into destructive behavior. And one of those ways, one of those destructive behaviors on sort of a meta level is to reduce life. We are literally built to produce life, yeah. to increase flourishing. Uh, when we go into, uh, you know, the woods, when we go into a wilderness, we bring order to that wilderness we build houses we don't cause destruction we don't burn the woods to the ground we use what is the resources that are there in order to build a habitable space a space of peace a space yeah, of harmony we should Harmo do it like that right yes um so it's not as though like you know the world left on its own would create some sort of peaceful place. It, it wouldn't. It's a, it's a dangerous place until we move inside and bring peace to it, establish harmony in a place. Well, that's place. what we should be doing. A yeah. lot of people would argue that we don't do that. Yeah, well, I think it's true on a, on a grand scale that we've, we've sort of neglected that. I think we can... One of the things very practically that I'm trying to do is I'm trying to structure my little slice of ground here to be 
a nice little paradise, a place where my family can be protected, can be safe, can be welcome, can be warm, can be fed, can rest peacefully at night, and including strangers or friends who might be who might come to my house. I want them to feel that kind of harmonious sense of being where it is that I'm living because I don't want to just live in the wilderness with nothing, you know? Even people who do live in the wilderness, they have a home. They build a place to have protection. Yeah. And that in you and of itself... You can't live off just pure chaos, which is... Yeah. You can't live off just pure chaos, which is kind of what this this global ruling class is trying to convince us now, which is normal, like that it's normal for, you know, children to be getting sex changes or for people to be injecting fluids into their body that haven't been tested or, I, I mean, big pharma itself just doesn't have a good rap. I mean, the, the, the amount of lawsuits and the billions on their, on their backs is unfucking believable And at the end of the day, like... Like, I, I just feel like, you know, free will is one of the most important things that we can have. And I don't agree with a lot of uh, the things that people are doing, but I also believe in free will. And free will for me is, okay, go ahead and do that. You have the free will to do that. Uh, oh, you just got eaten by an alligator. You shouldn't have been swimming in a swamp. You had the free... Oh, hey, oh, you, you, you wanted to get on hormone controls and now you can't have babies and you don't feel like you're trans anymore. Yeah. And this is a, a big problem right now. Or, or oh, oh, you want the free will... Um, uh, to abort your baby, which I, I believe you have. I'm not pro or anti-abortion. Uh, I'm, I'm pro free will. Uh, but you know, we know that a lot of women, they, they, they get depressed over that. They have, they have a lot of issues over that. And, and, and everything that's being thrust upon humanity right now doesn't have anything to do with our rights. Like you said, it has to do with a goal from a small group of people who are going to act like they're virtuous and they care about this and that, even though they openly tell you that it's, you know, th this world is governed by a select uh, of intellectuals that, you know, we need to move forward into, you know, the future in this manner. And it's, unfortunately, that manner is a population control. Uh, it's a population control outcome. Yeah, I think my... If I had any closing thoughts, it would be you, you, uh, before you talk about rights, before we talk about justice, which is really what everybody wants to start with. What's just, what's right. What is, what is, what is do me? Uh, we should really, you should really try to discover what, what is good, what is true and what is beautiful and think about why it is that you believe something is good or true or beautiful. It's not, it's not enough to just feel like something is good. It's not enough to have, uh, in other words, we have to have a justified belief. We have to have a good reason for why we think something. Yeah, how does this benefit the order of nature or mankind? And so I think it just, we are all better served if, Instead of talking about rights or when or something is or is not a person or 
who deserves to be able to do this or that. What we should do is think about what is what is good, what is fundamentally true, what is beautiful, and why do we think those things are the case, and why do we think they even exist? And it's, it's a worthwhile endeavor to spend time thinking about that pretty deliberately. And I think, uh, I think not enough people do that. And if more people did that, I think we'd have more interesting conversations about those topics. I'm going to say in closing, and then I'm going to ask you a series of questions. But in closing, the information that I provide on this podcast is not to scare and startle people. It's to inform people. At the end of the day, I believe we radiate at a certain vibration and frequency. And that's why in the beginning was the word. It was the vibration. And um, I believe that it's good to be informed but I also believe that getting, you know, trapped in this fear-based conspiratorial mindset constantly is not healthy. That you have to cultivate the spirit and you also have to understand that just because there's these agendas being, you know, put out there and written about doesn't mean it's going to happen. Man has been trying to take over the world since the beginning and he always fails. And I have no doubt particularly now that these fuckers are going to fail miserably. They're the most overindulgent, ignorant, uh, obviously psychopathic, narcissistic, sociopathic leaders the world has probably ever seen. And they're going to fail. It's, it's just a matter of time. And there, there, we might see a lot of discord and, and a lot of death and a lot of destruction. They're going to fail. And just like man in all of his groups, whether it's, you know, the Democrats or the Republicans or the religious or the political or the Satanists or the gays or the blacks or the whites or the this or the that, everybody's got a plan. At the end of the day, God has a plan and that plan is a curveball that humanity isn't going to see coming. And I believe that with all of my heart and that curveball is going to work out for the betterment of all of mankind were eternal beings. And, uh, that's what I believe. I could be wrong. I'm always, I'm, oh, I always say that. I just go off my gut feelings a lot of times and in my life experiences. But, uh, I I believe we have this one in the bag. It doesn't mean that we're not going to see a bunch of chaos and sadness and destruction in front of us. The ultimate end goal of all of it is we're, we're, we're in a birthing phase. Like there's something, something, a lot of times bad things have to happen for, you know, a forest has got to burn down to crack open seeds and become an even stronger forest a lot of times. You know, birth pangs. Yeah. It's a painful thing. And light, you know, uh, like you said, you don't, you don't ever want to get, bear, feel like you're getting buried beneath the what it is that you find out what you're up against but the great thing the great thing is we we know a lot of crazy information right ross yeah do do you let that like drive you down and make you live a miserable life yeah it would be easy to do that but the the great thing is but do you live a good life yeah i have yeah absolutely absolutely the powerful kind of secret is light darkness cannot extinguish light 
So wherever you find yourself, you know, however dark it may seem, you have the ability to do otherwise. You have it within you to be a light bearer, to do good things, to to love your your friends, to love your family, to be generous, to extend a helping hand, to be compassionate, and to share knowledge is even a good way to, to be that. So no matter how bleak things may seem, uh, if you're out there searching and seeking for truth and trying to do what you can to be helpful to your neighbors, that is an effective way to push back against some of the chaos that seems to be so pervasive. And, and there's, a, there's an old statement that's really, I, I don't know if I've said it on this podcast, but for me, natural law is like the number one law because I believe that that is God's true law, is, is how it acts out in nature. You can bring a drop of light into the darkness and illuminate a portion of that, like a candle. You can bring a candle into a dark room and it'll, and it'll help lighten up a, a, a lot of that room. You'll be able to see at least good enough to move around. You can't bring a drop of darkness into the light and have any effect on it. Yeah, it's actually the darker the room is, the less light you need to see. It's like a tiny little candle you'd put on a birthday cake in a totally black room will light up that whole room. Yeah. And that's a really powerful metaphor for, you know, you do have it. Even even one person has the ability to, to be truly influential and helpful in a time that a lot of people feel like they're kind of wandering around in the dark. So, Ross, if you could be any animal, what would it be? think I would be I think I would be maybe like a hawk of some kind okay and if you couldn't be a hawk then what would you be if I couldn't be a bird uh, I think I'd want to be somebody's dog okay and if you couldn't be somebody's dog then what would you be A bear. Okay, so. A big grizzly bear. The world sees you as a hawk. You see yourself as a friendly dog. What you really are is a bear. And this is very, very befitting of you because Ross is about the same size as me. He probably outweighs me by about 20, 25 pounds. But we're about to. Yeah, I'm I'm like 140. Uh, but Ross is an exceptional wrestler and grappler, and he is strong as fuck. Um, but uh, you know what my choices were? What? My first one, if you could be anything. And I didn't, the guy, did, like the way I did it with you, he did it with me. I was like, I was like, he's like, if you could be an animal, what would it be? And like instantly I knew because I thought about it. I was like, oh, I'd be a flying squirrel, right? <laughs> and then he's like, well, if you can be a flying squirrel, then what would you be? And that one took a second. I was like, 
I'll probably be like a killer whale or an alligator. And he goes, well, which one? And I was like, ah, an alligator. Because I thought about the green swamps, right? Mm-hmm. It's warmer. And I was like, well, if you couldn't be an alligator, then what would you be? And I was like, I thought, this one I thought on, like you did the third yeah. time. I was like, and my, my thought process was, is I'd want to be something that could blend into the background, that could travel long distances, that's beautiful, and that still maintains power and mystery. A little dangerous. Yeah, and I was like, oh, I'd be a spotted jaguar. I'd never thought about being that. Dude, I read the spiritual meanings of the spotted jaguar. Unbelievable, bro. Wow, that's yeah. fascinating. So we're going to have to look up the bear. Yeah, I have to look that up. That's wild. Anyways, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, maybe, maybe, we'll cu- maybe, maybe we'll be able to cut one more before I leave. Maybe not. But uh, either way, Ross dropped some heat on us tonight. <laughs> Thank you, bro. Uh, mind, body, spirit. Mind, body, spirit. Love, healing, truth. We out. Ladies and gentlemen, it's no secret that I'm into astrology and the secret is out. So ephemeris, who creates astrological talismans of your birth chart, um, reached out to me and they are sending me a little talisman, which is a necklace, uh, black and silver with a little engraving on it that says the kingdom of heaven is within you. And um, what you need to make the talisman is the date time and location of your birth if you don't have your birth that's not a problem you can still create an accurate abbreviated chart Um, the charts come in black and silver black and gold and black and rose gold they're made in the united states over seventeen thousand orders have been placed on ephemeris to go to ephemeris and order your talisman go to www.ephemeris.com that's www.ephemeris.com M-E-R-I-S dot com. Check them out.